Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church. City Church is a community of worshippers and mission. We exist to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. You can find out more about us at www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos. When I finish reading, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord. And you will say, thanks be to God. After Ahab's death, Moab rebelled against Israel. Now, Ahaziah had fallen through the lattice of his upper room in Samaria and injured himself. So he sent messengers saying to them, go and consult Baalzebub, the god of Ekron, to see if I will recover from this injury. But the angel of the Lord said to Elijah the Tishbite, go up and meet the messengers of the king of Samaria and ask them, is it because there is no God in Israel that you are going off to consult Baalzebub, the God of Ekron? Therefore, this is what the Lord says. You will not leave the bed you are lying on. You will certainly die. So Elijah went. When the messengers returned to the king, he asked them, Why have you come back? A man met us, they replied. And he said to us, Go back to the king who sent you and tell him, This is what the Lord says. Is it because there is no God in Israel that you are sending messengers to consult Baalzebub, the god of Ekron? Therefore, you will not leave the bed you are lying on. You will certainly die. The king asked them, what kind of man was it who came to meet you and told you this? They replied, he had a garment of air and had a leather belt around his waist. The king said, that was Elijah the Tishbite. Then he sent to Elijah a captain with his company of 50 men. The captain went up to Elijah who was sitting on top of a hill and said to him, man of God, the king says, Come down. Elijah answered the captain, If I be a man of God, no, that's not what NIV says. If I am a man of God, may fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50 men. Then fire fell from heaven and consumed the captain and his 50 men. At this, the king sent to Elijah another captain with his 50 men. The captain said to him, Man of God, this is what the king says. Come down at once. If I am a man of God, Elijah replied, may fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50 men. Then the fire of God fell from heaven and consumed him and his 50 men. So the king sent a third captain with his 50 men. This third captain went up and fell on his knees before Elijah. Man of God, he begged, please have respect for my life and the lives of these 50 men, your servants. See, fire has fallen from heaven and consumed the first two captains and all their men. But now, have respect for my life. The angel of the Lord said to Elijah, go down with him. Do not be afraid of him. So Elijah got up and went down with him to the king. He told the king, this is what the Lord says. Is it because there is no God in Israel for you to consult that you have sent messengers to consult Baalzebub, the God of Ekron? Because you have done this, you will never leave the bed you are lying on. You will certainly die. So he died according to the word of the Lord that Elijah had spoken. Because Ahaziah had no son, Joram succeeded him as king in the second year of Jehoram, son of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. As for all the other events of Ahaziah's reign and what he did, are they not written in the book of the annals of the kings of Israel? This is the word of the Lord. Um, Faith, thank you very much for that ginger read. <laughs> very gingerly. Gingerly read um, as required for a text like that, right? Yeah, let us pray. King of kings, Lord of lords, 
You reign over all time and space. We ask that you reign over us, our desires, our longings, our pleasures, our fears, our worries, our doubts this morning. Amen. Amen. Yes. Yes. Series. This is the, what do you call the sermon before the penultimate sermon in a series? You call it what? <laughs> the pen, the pen, penultimate. This is the pen, penultimate, um, um, sermon, right? So it's been a, it's been a very, it's been a, been a great one, right? All these weeks, um, everything that we've learned, and I'm sure some of us don't want this series to come to an end, right? How many of us want the series to continue? Series to continue, you know. But we know that, um. The series can continue. Some of us might think because Elijah did not die, right? So why can't we just keep finding something to say about his life? You know, find something to tack on here, find something to go on here. Um, but Elijah was raptured, right? You know, we're not going to treat that in our series, but we know that Elijah was taken up into the air. So there's no way for us to continue the series. <laughs> but you can also say that, but Elijah passed on legacy to Elisha. Right? You know, there's a legacy to Elisha. So if we can't talk about Elijah, why can't we just keep talking about, you know, Elisha? Uh, but Elisha died. And Elisha finished for him, right? So we can't continue that. But there is a, a legacy that Pastor Femi started talking about last week, which I felt was really, really, like, as many of us who testify, was a very, very important sermon. You know, emphasized how Elijah not only passed it on to Elisha, but to several others. But there's even a significant legacy probably even as significant as that legacy of Elijah to Elisha that was not spoken about last week, and that is one that we're going to learn from today. We would know that for the great Elijah, for the good, great Elijah, there was a companion bad guy, like the baddest guy in the story so far. How many of us know his name? Ahab, exactly, King Ahab. This guy also lived a life that outlived him, a life that really, really, really outlived him. And there's a lesson here, not just for the sermon today, but even for what we just did. The child education that we just had. I want us to look at this text, 1 Kings 22, 51-53. Look at the legacy that he left. Ahaziah, son of who? Ahab, became king of Israel in Samaria in the 17th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. And he reigned over Israel two years. So this is legacy, the son of Ahab. Let's go on. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Because he followed the ways of his father. One. And what? Mother. This is the only king. Oh. This is the only king in all the books of kings. First king, second kings, first chronicles, second chronicles, first Samuel, second Samuel. This is the only king that is recorded of that he followed in the ways of his father and mother. Special king. This is a, a combined parents came together and they left the legacy. They made an impact. They lived a life that would leave them indeed. And just a quick side, side to the parents and godparents that are in it out. And of course, I was one of the godparents, so this is a message to all of us. It is that, you see, I've not been a parent for long, right? But I'm a child of parents, right? <laughs> I'm friends with many parents, and I'm now a parent. But what, what I've seen and what many wise people have said over and over again is that what we say to our kids, what we ask them to do whatsoever, means little or nothing to how they turn out to be. Means little or nothing to how well they leave out our legacy or whatever we teach them. Psychologists, theologians have said over and over again that it is what we do. It is what we do. Not even that we make them do, not what we do to them. It is what we do on our own as examples that, is, that our children will learn from and grow to become more than anything else that we do. More than anything else. And a practical example I always give for this is, you would know of many families, you know of many children who grew up in homes where they did morning devotion every day and every night, every day and every night. And I can count many of them. I can count many of them, I being one, who grew up to not even, to even deny the entire whole thing altogether at some point, even for the grace um, of God. But the ones who have made the greater impact 
are people over and over again, you hear these testimonies, are children who by some chance, not by forced money devotion, let's sing everybody, I praise that when everybody's dozing, some days the children that will be dozing, some days mommy that will doze, some days daddy, daddy will now wake up. My dad will just wake up suddenly and say, come on everybody, stand up. You have to... Man. Baba, you don't sleep now. What's all this? What's all this? <laughs> we'll come out of the blue. But you know when he's chilling, he's like, you know, we had a long, everybody's tired, blah, blah, blah. Me too, I've had a long kidney. But the children who have made the most impact are those who by chance just stumble down to the parlor from their own playroom and found their dad kneeling on the shawl, praying, reading his Bible. He's not saying, oh yeah, everybody got to come and pray. Oh. He's not saying everybody come and That is very important, but there's a place for that. But what makes the greater impact is children who just see, who see the ways of their parents, who see the ways of their father, of their mother, on their own, following God. That makes the greatest impact for our children. So let's continue. Aside. And of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, who caused Israel to sin. So you see this guy. Let's continue. Look at verse 53. He says, He served and worshipped Baal and aroused the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, just as his father had done. Look at this. Like this guy, he was bound to, uh, to outdo his, his, his father. You know, we saw in Psalms ago that. King Ahab did much more evil than anybody else, than anybody, any other king had ever done. But this guy is saying, Papa, you try, but I will do you. I will, what, what is it? I will, he improved. He did way better. He did way worse, rather, than his dad. You see, that is why today's sermon, you know, as hard as I try to fight against it, as hard as it took me to think about to prepare, it is some sort of warning to us. It is some sort of warning that rehashes all that we're learning all through the year or all through the series, but it comes as a warning because that is the tone of this text. You will see in some books, especially in NIV translation, the one that faith tried to dig, dig um, tried to trial, tried to uh, <laughs> trample, you will find that the editing says, the Lord sends judgment on Isaiah. It's a text about judgment from 1 to 18. And I want us to take this carefully from verse 2. I want us to focus on two major words in verse 2, which will serve as the crux of the sermon. Verse 2, where we draw this wedding from. Verse 2, 2 Kings 1, verse 2. Look what it says. It says that now Isaiah had fallen through the lattice of his upper room in Samaria and injured himself. And what does he do? So he sent messengers to them, go and consult Beelzebub, the God of Ekron, to see if I will recover from this injury. The two words I want us to focus on this morning is, we see the word fall in there. Fall and the word consult. Fall and consult. It's time for fall, I want us to think this as a metaphor, not just for the physical falling that this guy experienced, but as a metaphor for spiritual decline. A metaphor for a spiritual descent. And consult means here to seek with care, to request, to, to request from a God, from a deity or somebody with care, with great care and passion, honesty. You see, and so there are three categories of people that need to hear this this morning. There are three categories of people that need to hear this soft warning this morning. You see, the first categories of people are those who are falling. Or those who will need to ask themselves this morning, have I fallen? I want you to, I'm asking this morning, have you fallen? Have you fallen? Are you at a spiritual really, really low? The second set of people are those who I'm asking this morning, are you about to fall? Are you about to fall? And the third category of people is those who I'm asking, are you standing? Are you standing? Have you fallen? Are you about to fall? And are you standing? So we take the first. Have you fallen? You see, Isaiah was in a critical condition. He said this guy had fallen and had injured himself. He was lying on his bed. He could not even step out of his bed. That injury was that bad. So it was in a very critical condition. 
And that is a cruel condition some of us find ourselves today or find ourselves at this season and phase in our lives. You see, this phase of those who are falling are identified by three major markers. Three major markers. And the first that we'll talk about is we become people, as you find as here, here, people who seek counsel and care from where we shouldn't. People who seek care and counsel from where we shouldn't. Look at Isaiah. Isaiah says, go and consult Beelzebub, God of Ekron. This is God's people. This is God's place. And this king is saying, go and consult Beelzebub, God of Ekron. This is about 40 to 60 miles away from where the kingdom was. And he said, he, he didn't think of God. He didn't remember all that God had done in recent times and in the past. And he said, no, my messengers will go to Beelzebub in a faraway land to go and, cons and to go and consult him. And God has spoken to these people several times in Deuteronomy 6, in Leviticus 20. He has said, whoever goes and consults spiritists or mediums or other gods, he says, such person will be cut off my people. Such person will be, will be, will be destroyed completely. So we need to begin to ask ourselves this morning. You know, gradually, you see, how have we, how have you begun to take pleasure, begun to find more and more fellowship, oh, with friends, oh, with community, with people or groups that are not Christians, that are not Christians, that are only Christians by mouth, that do not really, really, Live out. You know clearly that they do not live out according to the precepts of God's commands. Oh, you are seeking care and counsel from people where, that you shouldn't. You're running to, you're taking advice, sharing your deepest problems and weaknesses with them. You're getting counsel from gurus or from teachers or healers or all sorts of people on on, 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 on social media, oh, who profess a certain kind of truth that is against God's commands. This is the first marker. Consciously or unconsciously. Oh, oh, from, you see, what totally dictates what you find? Oh, your dating prospect. Oh, what you look for in a partner now? Are those social media tags? Are those social media, you know, those goals? Oh, what dictates them now is what you see on Big Brother Ninja television. Oh, what totally shapes your view of your future now are the constant posts by the LinkedIn influencers. This is how you picture. This is how you put together what your future should be like. He says you are seeking care and counsel from where you shouldn't. The first mark of those who are falling. You have become so comfortable with movies with an agenda, movies with propaganda. You know, but you have become so comfortable with them. Oh, you quickly, you enjoy this, you know, without caring for the sex scenes, you without caring for non-Christian music that totally against God's precepts and commands. Because that is where you find groove. You see, all these other songs, all these other, but they don't get you there. They can't, they, can, they don't take you. They don't move you anymore. It is these kinds of music. It is these kinds of art that take you there. No prayer, no word, the direction in prayer, the wisdom we get from scripture, the counsel and guidance of more mature spiritual leaders or GC leaders or friends. You don't even remember that they exist. You don't even remember that they, they mean nothing to you anymore. This is the first symptom of those who are falling. You see, but there's another one. Look what Isaiah says. Isaiah says, go and consult from Beelzebub, God of Ekron. What does he say? To see if I will recover from this injury. He does not say, go and tell Beelzebub, God of Ekron, that I want to recover, that he should help me recover. No, he's saying to see if I will recover. He did not ask to be healed. He did not ask to be delivered. You see, what it shows is that he no longer cares about the state of his heart. He doesn't care about, oh, what conduct that he needs to leave. He doesn't care about what he needs to do to make amends or to be saved. He doesn't care about what will happen to him, where he will go, if he continues to live like this or if he dies. 
You see, and some of us have gotten to this point. Some of us have gotten to this state where we even say blatantly, where we no longer care, where we no longer, we, do, we, 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 are, we are done. We are done. Like, we, we live in sin continually. We live in ways that displease God and we will care nothing. See, it starts gradually from yes. Oh, you know, simple things like you don't, it's non Christian music. Oh, it's just sex things. Oh, and then you watch what you shouldn't watch. Oh, you see the things that you shouldn't see. You are comfortable with what you are not, you're not supposed to be comfortable with. And before you know it, oh, you find yourself admiring the kind of person that you shouldn't be admiring. And before you know, you are dating the kind of person that you shouldn't be dating. And before you know, you are doing the kind of things that you shouldn't be doing with the person, with the kind of person that you shouldn't be with. And then all of a sudden, you found yourself that you've aborted three times. He says, you've come to this point where it no longer means, he doesn't care about recovery. You don't care about the recovery. It's so far, far, far gone. Oh, you see, you see people now, like today, because of this need and constant desire to measure up to their peers, to measure up to the people who have so much in society, we now live in a time, we live in a time in our society, and I feel like this, if you really want to check the moral pulse of our time, of our people, man, you really need to talk. You can't do it without really, really considering the menace of Yahoo Yahoo. Never. At this time, it is no longer, it is no longer, it has become a cultural thing. It's become a cultural, a societal thing, accepted. You see, and in different ways, all of us are part of the problem, in different ways. You see, I was in Ibadan a couple of weeks ago. And as I, I, like, as I came from the train station, I was looking for a taxi that would take me into town. And there was this very, very, one guy that had this very, very beautiful taxi. And I came to me and I said, ah, of all the taxis here, like, why is this guy taxi? Like, he's driving one very superb car. I'm saying, ah, in Ibadan, this is not Lagos. Like, you don't even use this for Uber in Lagos. Like, how come? Then I asked the guy, that Alpha, he said, ah, that, don't I know? That this is, like, there's no money in Uber now, and there's no money in taxi. That is Yahoo Boys that, that's, that help him in this city now. It's Yahoo Boys. And Yahoo Boys would not like to be in those rickety old, you know that Badon cars are like the roofs of Ibadan. <laughs> I am from Ibadan, I am from Ibadan, I am from Ibadan. I am from Ibadan. We're punching ourselves. Let's not lie. Let's not lie. All Ibadan cars have a sound. It sounds like the creaking of roofs. <laughs> of brown old gold rush, rickety roofs. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. Don't worry, don't worry. <laughs> so he says they will not want to enter those cars. This is the kind of cars they want to enter. So he will carry them. He said, ah. as he was dropping me, he said, see now. Person wants to carry and go. Uh, Samonda, how much? 500 naira. Say, wait, now I don't want to go feed my family. But Yahoo boy, tell me now, you don't call me. Say, Mark on Karen from Leeds City. Come, Samonda, he go give me 5k. Say, Mark, wait for him. Then if I wait for him, come Karen and go back, he go give me 8k. All that time, how much this I go make for Uber for Taxify? And all the while in the cab, this guy was, was chatting with me, he was speaking calls. Yes, tomorrow in a choir practice, so, eh, when I show, he was speaking calls. Ah, God bless you, God bless you. Amen, amen. You will be to be well with you. I was not asking her, bro, what's up? Are you like a pastor? I say he's a pastor. <laughs> this is not unusual. There are now deacons and elders in church who, for all kinds of reasons, take their kids. This is this has become more rampant in the southwest. But I even see in the south, south, and the south is who take their kids like this, carry them to masters in Yahoo Yahoo and say, Bami come on me, Yahoo. This is a marker of those who are falling. And I don't care attitude toward, toward things that are pure and of praise. And I don't care attitude about sin and evil. You see, the second marker, the third marker of this, rather, of those who are falling, is a cynical, is like, is a chronic cynicism against Christians, against Christianity, against the church, or against religion in general. And this can be subtle or overt. You see what happens? In verse 2, 
It says, Isaiah sent messengers to go and consult Baalzebub, God of Ekron. He sent messengers. Messengers. But then what happened? God now sent an angel. God, an angel came to meet Elijah and said, go and block these guys. We lay them. Tell them, am I not here? Do I not exist? Why will you go and do such thing? And then when these guys went back to Isaiah, what did he tell them? He said, how have you come back soon? Blah, blah, blah. Then how did Isaiah respond to Elijah? He sent messengers to Beelzebub. Do you know what he now sent to Elijah? Look at verse 9. He says, verse 9, he said, Then he sent to Elijah a captain with his company of 50 men. He sent messengers to Beelzebub, but to Elijah he's sending an army. This is a blatant attack against God or whatever concerns him or God's people. You see, as if that was not enough, he sent this, see, he sent this 50. They went there. Elijah called down fire upon them. They were consumed. Oh, this man, what should he have done? He should have said, hey, okay, God is real. Wow, I've, I've done terrible. I shouldn't, no. He sent another 50 to Elijah. Elijah again called down fire on them. They were destroyed. This man did not see repent. He didn't change his ways. He sent another 50 again. You see, we read this story. And sometimes we think that Elijah is the bad guy. Elijah is the guy that is calling fire. Elijah is the guy doing what, do you, what, do you, what many people have said, ah, is this thing really right? Some people have even said, maybe this story is not true because how can God be doing this? But what about the man, Isaiah, who was seeing God of Carmel repeating his wonder, doing it again? He knows that this is Elijah the teacher because when they described him, what man sent you? When they described the way he wore, when they described how he looked, ah, that's Elijah the teacher. He knew what God had done to this man. Yet, he blatantly revolted against him. And people were dying. People who we should care for. People who we should be concerned about were dying under his care. And yet he did not turn back to God. Yet he did not consult God. Brothers and sisters, friends. This is the descent of the man or woman who has fallen. You begin to seek care and counsel from where you shouldn't. Then you begin to develop you display an I don't care attitude towards the things that are of pure and of high praise. And you have that same regard or nonchalant attitude towards sin and evil. And now it gets to the point. The lowest point of this is you begin to express a blatant revolt against the things of God and his people. Against pastors. You see nothing good in pastors anymore. You see nothing good in Christians anymore. You see nothing good in GC anymore. You see nothing good in the church anymore. Gradually. We well, see, what Isaiah does not know is that instead of him at this point consulting Bezebub, is that he should be consulting God. He should be consulting God because we are taught about his father. Who is Ahab? We said Ahab was so evil but so terrible. But look at what happened to Ahab. Ahab as bad as he is. Let's go to 1 Kings 20. Ahab as bad as he is. Let's see what, he, see what God did to him. He consulted God as bad as he is and see what God did to him. 1 Kings 22. Person 20, 21, 20, 22, rather. Let's see how God responded to Ahab. He says, from 21, look at, this was the time when Ahab had forcefully taken the vineyard from Naboth. You know, and he killed the guy after seizing his vineyard. After his wife advised him, he seized the vineyard and he killed the guy. And so what happened was, God now sent Elijah, and an angel came to Elijah again and said, go and meet that man and tell the man the evil he has done. Look at the transaction, look at the, the conversation they had. He says, God is telling him, telling Elijah, he says, I am going to bring disaster on you. I will wipe out your descendants and cut off Ahab. Cut off from Ahab every last male in Israel, slave or free. Let's continue. So what it says, I will make your house like that of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, and that of Basha, son of Ahijah, because you have aroused my anger and have caused Israel to sin. God was done with this guy, destroying him. Let's go on. You see, when Ahab, look at his response. When Ahab heard these words, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, and fasted. He lay in sackcloth and went around meekly. Oh, see, Ahab, as he was, was consulted God even at this very, very low state. And how did God respond to him? Look at verse 28. 
Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite. 29. Have you noticed how Ahab has humbled himself before me? This is a man that done the worst, the most evil of all. Because he has humbled himself, I will not bring this disaster in his day, but I will bring it on his house in the days of his son. Brothers, sisters, friends, you see, I do not know how far you have slid down. I do not know how far you've slipped off your path and you've descended into a spiritual all-time low. God who showed mercy on Ahab is saying that he can show mercy to you if you humble yourself and consult him. Isaiah did not know this. You see, let's move. I think this is this to the second category of people and say, no, I've not fallen. I do not fit into these categories you've described. You see, but it doesn't start there. You don't just land into this falling category. You see, this second category of people who we need, who need to ask themselves, who I'm asking this morning, are you about to fall? Are you about to fall? You see, let's look at 2 Chronicles 20. See, because Isaiah did not just get there. God had given Isaiah several opportunities God had given several moments, even before this time, to repent, to change, to reconsider his ways. It's in 2 Chronicles 20, 35. He said, later, Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, made an alliance with Isaiah, king of Israel, whose ways were wicked. He agreed with him to construct a fleet of trading ships. After these were built at Ezion Geba. Eliezer, son of Dadavahu of Maresha, prophesied against Jehoshaphat, saying, because you have made an alliance with Isaiah, the Lord will destroy what you have made. The ships were wrecked and we are not able to set sail to trade. Is it because you have made alliance with Isaiah, the Lord will destroy what you have made? Is it God brought about an economic downturn for this guy? He wrecked what would have been a so profitable business. Yet this man did not see. This man did not notice. This man could not see the hand of God in this. This is not all. 2 Kings 1, verse 1, the first verse of what we read, it says, After Ahab's death, Moab rebelled against Israel. You see, to understand this, Moab was a kingdom of people that David, a former king, had conquered. He had conquered them. He had made nothing of them, leveled them. And the few that were left, the contract that they had was these people will continue all their days for all their generations to give tributaries, to pay taxes to Israel. But after Ahab's death, this Moab, this tiny, these people who are not supposed to be a people, rebelled against Israel. Yet, with this political downtown, God was giving Isaiah a sign. The man still did not notice. You see, God is giving you many opportunities. Oh, brother or sister, oh, you're under the sound of my voice. I'm saying that God has brought to you many opportunities. The fact that you're still here, he's saying this is another opportunity. Would you consult me? Or wallow in your sin. Or wallow in your evil. Oh, because guys, what is paramount this morning is that, you see, Isaiah had a lot of chance. Isaiah had a lot of time. God has given so many opportunities. But it's not always so. Sometimes, God longings, God lengthens the time for people that do evil so that they can aggravate their sin. But sometimes, God, God, God shortens the time so that they can instill it. Sometimes, God does it because we look at the captains of the army. They didn't have as much time as there. You see, when they came to Elijah, look what it says. He says, they came to Isaiah. The first captain came, and he died suddenly. Elijah said, if I am. The second captain came, and they all died suddenly. You see, these ones, they were not just about to fall. They were about to die, and yet they did not see it. You see, there are two markers of those who are about to fall. Two markers. We see from these captains of the armies. The first is that which is also true of us. The first is that we do not live up to the truth that we know. You see, those who are about to fall find themselves constantly, over and over, not living up to the truth that they know. 
Because look at these men, look at these captains. How could they have gone to the powerful Elijah, the one who said that there should be no rain and there was no rain? How could they have gone to the powerful Elijah, who was supernaturally provided in Kerat Ravine? How could they have gone to the powerful Elijah? It's an army. They were not going there to shake. They were not going for a peace offering. It's an army. They were going there to capture him or to kill him. How could they have gone to him? This man who multiplied flour and oil, this man who brought down fire, this man who brought down rain again. How could they have gone? You see, even if they did not know, like the messengers that Isaiah had first sent, he said, we don't know what man it is. He described it that they knew. Even if they did not know, Isaiah must have told them something about it. Because Isaiah recognized that this was Elijah the Tishbite. So he would have told them. But even if he did not, why did they come saying man of God? So these people knew. They knew the truth about God. They knew the truth about this man of God. Let's even assume that the first set of army did not know about this God, did not know the truth. What about the second set that came after fire had come upon the first set? Guys, before you fall, before you get to that stage where Isaiah, Isaiah was on his bed, you will find yourself constantly not living up to the truth that you know. Oh, you will find your old struggles beginning to rear their head again. You will find those things you thought you have overcome begin to show up again in your life. You will find the gaps you thought you have covered begin to show up again in your life. Oh, brothers and sisters, this is a sign because whenever God brings down fire, Oh, over and over and over and over again in Old Testament, it was always a sign of judgment, giving people an opportunity to repent, to turn from their ways, to consult him. We've had several sermons in this series, oh, about how we need to persevere in prayer. We've had several sermons, we've talked about, oh, how we ought not to be tribalistic. Oh, we've seen how we ought to be good leaders, impacting others' lives so that our fruit can go on other trees. Oh, my question to us today, we've had other sermons in the course of this year, in previous years. We've learned a lot in our Jesus, studied all sorts of curriculum. You've been shown a lot by the Spirit in your devotions, in your regular times. You've been warned over and over again. Are you living up to the truth that you've attained? Or do you find yourself, instead of constantly Living up, meeting up with the truth, you find yourself constantly regressing. The more you know, the less you practice. You are about to fall. This is a sign that you are about to fall. The psalmist says in Psalm 73, verse 1. He says, surely God is good to Israel and to those who are pure in heart. This is what he knows. For sure, for a true. He said, God is good to those who are pure in heart. God is good to Israel. But look at investors. What does he say? He said, but surely. He's not saying this. He said, but surely in vain I have kept my heart pure. If this sort of disconnect exists in your life, brothers, sisters, you are about to fall. You see, the second marker is, you begin to live, or you see that you, you are living a pretentious life. A pretentious life. Because these guys came, why did they say man of God? Man of God, man of God. When they know they are going to be asking the man of God to come down and to capture and to kill him. Why are they calling him man of God? This was a mockery. Why are they saying emoji, emoji? When they know that what they wanted to do to this emoji was nothing good. If they believed that he was really a man of God, that he was sent by God, that he spoke the word of God, why would they... Be saying such to him. So guys, the second marker of our lives, of those who are about to fall, is that you begin to see yourself or you notice that you say things that you don't mean. Oh, you see yourself come to GC and you only confess the 10% of the evil of the sins that you've done. And there's a 90% beneath that you don't say anything about. And everybody all the while, everybody's saying, I love how this brother is so vulnerable. Like, whenever he shares in Jesus, I just feel like, man, man, God is really working people's hearts. Look at how he just poured out himself. I mean, I cannot say such thing, no. <laughs> but all the while, he has said the 10% that he knows will have that kind of reaction. But there's a 90% holding there, deep down, adding up, coagulating, turning to scum in his life, adding, which, which without consulting God, he would never be free from. 
Why? Why, is, why are you not coming to church in person? Oh, because you know you'll be asked certain kind of questions. And you know you will feel ashamed. You know you'll be put in a place where you would have to see, where you have to say things that you don't want to say. Oh, why is your video off? Oh, is it not because you are joining the Zoom meeting in GC from the other room of your, of your boyfriend? Why are you giving so much to church? Are you not giving as a result? Or are you not giving in such a way as to cover up, in some kind of way to make up, oh, for all the evil and all the havoc you are doing in the dark that nobody knows about? Oh, but pastor will say, that guy is a very generous. That woman is a very, one of the most generous people in church. Yes. For is it a pretentious life? You see, what God is saying to people who are about to fall is that you should come like the third captain. You should consult God like the third captain of the army. What does the third captain of the army do? He says, when the third captain of the army comes, he does not come in the way that he does not come in the way that the first two came. The first two came. Shouting. The first two came screaming with power and authority. But look at how he came. He says, the third captain came and he says, man of God. He started the same way. He said, man of God. But he now says, man of God, he begged. This man begged. He said, hey. This man knew. This man was consulting God. He says, he begged. Please have respect for my life. Please spare me. Please, my life is in your hands. Please, I am not better than all these guys that have died. Oh, I am not as clean or holier or better than all these guys. Please spare my life. This is what some translation says. Please spare my life. But he wasn't just asking for himself. Look what he says. He says, please have mercy on the lives of these 50 men too. And what happened to him? He says... And Elijah spared this guy's life. Elijah looked at this man and he did not call down fire. He need not have to, he never had to say, if I am a man of God, let fire come upon them. No, he spared them. You see, if you are about to fall, you find yourself living a pretentious life, or you find yourself not living up to the truth that you know. God is saying to you that if you consult me with this immunity of this man, if you consult me just as this third captain came, he would spare your life from judgment. You see, this is the third set of people that God is warning today. Third set of people that God wants to warn. You see, these are the people that want to ask. You say, oh, I'm not, I don't think I've fallen. I don't think that I am about to fall. And so I'm asking you, are you standing? Are you standing? Do you think you are standing? Those of us that think that we are standing. Because Elijah was a person like this. He says, Elijah was sitting on top of a hill. Elijah was firm, he was right. Elijah was, was the one that constantly consulted God. The angel of God came to meet him. Oh, he said, if I am a man of God, he's constant consulting God. He's a cons- Constantly consulting God. Perfect. He's a guy, he's a woman, he's just, we know you're all covered in your clothes, you all get your Bible to your chest and all. He said, this is my, this is, you know, perfect. In my heart of heart, like I know that I'm standing. In fact, I'm just coming out of those phases of having fallen or about to fall. I think I'm standing fine. But look at verse 15. What does this say about Elijah? Verse 15 of 2 Kings 1. See what it says. It says, the angel of the Lord said to Elijah, Go down with him. Do not be afraid of him. This is Elijah. Elijah, the powerful guy. The Elijah, the the guy who was constantly consulting God. The Elijah that was calling calling down fire, calling down thunder and lightning. This man was afraid all the while. When all these armies were coming to meet him, he was afraid. This man was full of fear. He had doubts. He had anxieties in him. You see, the Bible says, he that stands should take it lest he fall. Oh, Peter says, the devil is roaring like a wounded lion. He's an adversary. Roaring like a wounded lion, seeking whom? Seeking whom to devour. Oh, you see, 
If that is standing, whoever of us who thinks that is standing, you feel like all that has been said, you know, the problem is not here, the problem is out there. I'm not one of those that is what is coming to. Oh, do you not know? He says there are principalities and powers. There's spiritual weakness in high places. There is a devil, prince of devils, Beelzebub, who is after you. Are you not afraid? You see, whether we are falling, whether we are about to fall, or whether we are standing, we are called to constantly consult God. Fall is imminent. Our life is at risk as long as we live in this world, as long as sin is still present. You see, and that is why I... I have, I have seen this over and over again in my life. I've seen this in different ways. You know, sometimes you are just so, you're just so comfortable in the group of people that know you. You're just so comfortable in your GC or your group of friends that I've known you for many years. Or that you think, oh, you're vulnerable with them. Oh, you're sharing with them. They kind of move you. Oh, the things of God. But sometimes there are certain flaws of yours. There are certain sins of yours. There are certain evils of yours that you've come to just accept. Because this is you. That is dummy. What are we going to do with him? We can't throw him away. That is always like that. There's nothing they over time they've tried, they've tried, but there's nothing they can do. So they leave you to yourself. They manage you. They build their community. They build the friendship and somehow to contain you. So that you continue to live like that. Not because they want to do so, but because they've tried and there's nothing they can do. But once in a while, something moves you out of this, this, this cocoon. Something plant transplants you and puts you in a, in a space where you a new job or puts you to make a new friend or plants you in a thing like marriage. And then you begin to see, wow, it's not like this thing has never been there. But God is using this as a room, as a portion. You who thought you were standing, you who thought you were so, you are so patient, you who thought that you never get angry, you who thought that you can never ever in your life lost after another woman. God transports you and you begin to see all the evil that is buried in the dark crevices of your soul. Brother, sister, you think you are standing. Hey, consult God. And that is why for this, I want to recommend a practice. You see, this is something I've tried to practice every, for through this year, and I found God using different ways to bring me, to, to, to send His grace, to send His humility and power into my life. You see, some lost practice, some lost practice of the church, it's called the prayer of the examine. It is recommended that you pray this prayer, like they say every night, but you can do it in the morning, you can do it any time that you find, but usually, through the church traditions, it's usually prayed in the night. You see, there are different kinds of questions. There are different formats this can take. But there are four most popular questions that are often asked. It is a practice you take. And every night at the end of your day, because you know that today, hey, you are closer to falling than you think you are. So you take these questions and you say, hmm, where in my day today have I felt closest to God? First question. Second question, you ask yourself, where in my day today have I felt farthest away from God? What, third question, what is it that has happened in my day, today in my day, that has brought me the most joy? What is it in my day that has brought me the most sadness? Oh, you practice this more day after day. Oh, you can start practicing this all once a week. Oh, you move on to twice a week when you begin to see how it brings you to the awareness of yourself. And of the power and the glory and the grace of God, you begin to increase this practice. You make it become a daily thing. Oh, brother, this is a very, very effective practice that helps you consult God. I want you to consider. I've seen the bare fruits in my life, friends. Oh, guys, Elijah, who called down fire, he couldn't come down from the hill. He waited until the angel of the Lord said, don't be afraid, go with them. He preserved his own life too. He was scared of losing his own life, so he stayed. But we know that there is a greater one than Elijah. A greater one who consults God, but who is unlike Elijah. We see him first in Luke 9. In Luke 9, when he was walking with the disciples, Call sons of thunder. These men like these people like to show power. They like to show how strong, how mighty they are. He was working with them. You see, as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. 
and he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, you see, this was Samaria. This was King Isaiah in Samaria. So the guys are saying, ah, this is Samaria. They know the scriptures. So they're saying, ah, no, this can't be a coincidence. Samaria, messengers were sent, which we find ourselves in Samaria, and these people are trying to reject God. Ah, this is the time to call down fire. No, this is, this is just right. This is like God. This is the only God that could have done this. We are made for a, such a time as this. But look what happened. You see, when the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? As Elijah did, some tradition will say. You see, but Jesus turned and rebuked them. Then he and his disciples went to another village. You see, but Jesus turned and rebuked them. It's in older translations. Jesus will say, they will say, Jesus said, You see, do you not know what spirit ye are of? For the Son of Man has not come to destroy, but to save human lives. He said, Elijah will pour down fire. He said, No, but that's not the spirit that we have. I know I can see all these fallen people. I can see these people about to fall. I can see all these people who think that they are standing. No, but I have come to save them and not to destroy them. Consult this God. He said, but it doesn't end there. Look at how this Jesus went on to do. He said, Elijah tried to save himself but not coming down from the hill because he knows his life was at risk. But look at Matthew 27. This Jesus had walked from villages to villages and now he found himself in Golgotha on the cross, nailed to the cross by sinners. And since about three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lema sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah. See, he's calling Elijah. Oh, immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a staff and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now leave him alone. Let us see if Elijah comes to save him. Oh, will Elijah come to save him? Jesus needs to be saved here. Oh, who is going to bring him down from the cross? Oh, but what happened to Jesus? Did Jesus preserve himself? Was his life preserved? Did he come down from this cross the way Elijah came? No, look at what happened. He said, and when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he did what? He gave up his spirit. This is a man who would give up his life not to preserve it, not to preserve it, but to preserve ours, to preserve ours, to preserve, to preserve yours. Regardless of how far you might have fallen from him, regardless of how distant you think you are, this Jesus gave up his spirit so that you can be saved from destruction, so that you can be saved from God's eternal judgment. for listening to the gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos.